Welcome everybody to uh, Derek's uh, live Monday night uh, chat show. Today I've got two very interesting speakers that I've known uh, for a while, Aidan Stone and Daryl Howes. Um, we're going to start with, uh, with Aid, and I'm going to read out such a long list of Aid's accomplishments so I don't uh, miss any of them. I first met Aid in the uh, Professional Speaking Association about 15 years ago when he was designing and writing the newsletter. And I saw that he uh, designed our friend Jane Gunn's book. And I thought, oh, wow, Aid, you could uh, design my book. So we negotiated a fee. Usually, as usual, I got ripped off on the fee, paying <laughs> far too much uh, money, as I always do. And um, he designed, uh, designed my book, uh, Power Negotiating, which I meant to be the very last book that I wrote. Uh, Aid designed the cover, fabulous cover that he designed for me, and also my DVD, CD program, everything is negotiable. And um, he also uh, made a video for me, which is on my YouTube channel, which has had uh, 280,000 views. We didn't think it would get many views because I think we were in your kitchen when we did it, Aid, and I had a, we had my auto cue was uh, against the wall somewhere. But uh, while we were doing that, Aid told me he wasn't gonna do this, uh, this work anymore and he was gonna become a teacher and he'd signed up as a mature student to go to Oxford University, study physics and become a physics teacher. So I was a bit taken aback by that, particularly as he had three kids running around the house while we were making the video. But off uh, Aid went to, uh, to university, became a comprehensive physics teacher. And then he tells me he's moving to the North Yorkshire Moors because he's been given a job, uh, he's got a job straight away at uh, filing uh, Filing Hall School between Whitbury, Whitby and Scarborough. What a fabulous part of the world. I was so envious. Uh, I saw AIDS blog on, um, on LinkedIn last week about, um, about 3D printers and what he was doing with the school and how he was running the assemblies via video on COVID. And I thought uh, I must talk to Aidan. I talked to Aidan and he agreed to come on come on tonight but uh, it's also written an exam practice book uh, show everybody that uh, book if you've got it there aid um, which has been published by Hodder and he's also writing a book about the Whitbury Whitby to Scarborough Railway and those of you that know me well know I'm a, a real train fan and uh, it's being published on Kickstarter uh, aid I believe and we want to learn about that as well so uh, aid the first question is um, what on earth made your mind up to uh, study physics at uh, such an such a older age? Well, I'm not studying physics, so my degree was physics. So I already, already um, had a degree in physics and then got involved in, in, in graphic design and publishing and started my own business in that arena in 2001. So uh, uh, doing multimedia stuff and print stuff, as you know. Uh, I designed the PSA logo, don't forget that. A little badge yeah that's the professional speaking association logo yeah. for those of you that uh, don't know that yeah so uh so i was doing that for a long time but then got involved in speaking and showing off uh, and that sort of thing and uh and then i think it was probably when the uh, the economic uh, downturn happened and the conferences thing was drying up as we know we were traveling all around the world and then suddenly we weren't and um and I, and I just made maybe sort of reassess what I was doing. I thought, which bits do I like doing about, about the work I'm doing? I like inspiring people, 
but I don't like sales. <laughs> right? yeah. I, don't, I don't like do my own marketing. I like doing other people's marketing. But I didn't like doing my own. And I didn't like doing nothing was another thing. And, uh, and somebody suggested, well, you, maybe you get involved in lecturing or teaching, you know, because you can do that bit all the time, the performance bit all the time. And I thought it was a stupid idea. And then a year later, I thought it was a good idea. So that was that was that I didn't it was one of those things where, you know, and everyone here must have made a decision in your life when you don't actually remember making it. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's like it's like when you I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me. I'm speaking out of turn. But it's like when when I got when we agreed to get married. I don't ever remember agreeing to it. It sort of just happened. Didn't it? <laughs> you know, sort of, I mean, it's the best decision I can't remember making, you know, um, that sort of thing. So, yeah. So it just, you know, ended up did a, ma a master's in teaching and learning and because that was the bit i'm interested in uh interested in inspiring people interested in the psychology of of creativity which is what i was talking about when i was doing the speaking about what makes you creative what what, what is innovation how how can you be more creative and in terms of the school how can i get across these ideas you know in physics um i bet everyone here has an experience where They've either loved it or hated it, probably hated it, you know, and um, and I bet if we ask people later on, what was it about school that you remember? And you probably probably the that there was a there was a teacher you liked or there was an, an inspirational moment or there was something that made the subject come alive, you know, so I thought, well, I want to be that guy. I want to be that person in somebody's life that that turns them on to to something useful turns them on to something in their life that makes a difference for them they can go on go on and um and make make some positive change so so that was the reason for the teaching you know and uh, and the more the more you get into these sort of things as you know the more the more interesting ways you find of of, of making it work so it's the creativity angle that i'm really interested in how to inspire the kids um i'll tell you a couple of little stories of stuff that i've done recently is um there's loads of stuff I could show you, but I haven't got it here, but I've got this here. Um, I started a creative writing group and the re my reason was that boys aren't readers, right? On the whole, um, less boys are readers than girls. And I thought, how can I engage these boys in being better at literacy? And, uh, and so I, th I had this idea of starting a creative writing club called the Intergalactic Writers Guild. And I got these boys in who, who weren't really good at, at, at writing or reading and um, got them interested in science fiction and then we started getting even ghost stories and um, a load of other kids came and a lot of girls came and a lot of people who were brilliant at writing came and we ended up writing a book and um, publishing a book of their writing and this is it and uh, it's on amazon so it's a collection of students picture work they probably won't um hold it still hold it, it still it won't do it it's too it's too dark in the background but it's a collection of um of short stories and illustrations by by the kids in the school i think there's a hundred kids in it or something like that and and that made a difference to a lot of those kids um from being someone who didn't read to someone who's now a published author so i used those skills that i'd acquired in his earlier life that Dirk's talking about to um to get the kids to to get push them in a direction they might not have gone in so that's that's what i like about the teaching is getting them out of their comfort zone and getting them to do something that they perhaps perhaps wouldn't have done. And with um, with physics is interesting because 
yeah, you could say, well, a lot of people don't like it. It's too hard. A lot of people think there's too much maths in it. Or um, or there's a classic sexism going on in it. And so I've, I've been trying to address that in my work as well. So on my wall in the lab, you'll see uh, there's 79, I think 79 posters of women physicists. So that, um, so that the girls who come into the room know that this is a place where they can succeed because there's the evidence. Because the evidence isn't very anywhere else. You know, there was, um, a, uh, I did a blog on this direct, actually the other day, there was uh, a survey done by Teach First who said that um, in the science curriculum, this is biology, physics and chemistry, there, there are no women mentioned in, in it, wow. in the national curriculum. And, and I thought this is interesting, so I would investigate it and check it out. And it is true. Uh, but there's a reason for that. And the reason isn't quite what you think. So there's no women in the science national curriculum but there again there's no men either and you think what are you talking about and the reason is this that um a, a curriculum is a list of topics so there is no history of science in the national curriculum it's all topics i teach it as a history of science because i'm interested in the people involved and it's more inspiring that way so the men they were talking about who are mentioned in the national curriculum aren't mentioned by name as a person they're a unit so the dual the um, um, Celsius, uh, Newton, Watts, all of those, the units of all the things that we measure, they're all men. And there we are. So if anybody thought, thought we were onto something, then we weren't, now we are again. So all the units are all men. There's only one that isn't, and that's the Curie radioactivity, which is Marie Curie. So, so then we're back to the story of why is that? There are plenty of women scientists, why are no units named after them? So we're back into the there is a gender bias. And so I'm trying to address that in, in how I teach. And how the, how I do that is exactly what I just said, is you teach, I teach with the history of science. So the stories of the people involved, which includes the things that went wrong, which includes the things where mistakes were made, which, in, which is vital for science, because what we're teaching is critical thinking. You've got to be able to uh, analyze something and think, is this true? rather than here's the dogma of what is true you know so i'm not telling you this let's worship einstein i'm more more likely to say uh let's figure out whether he's right or let's figure out why he thought that you know and that that's more interesting it's more engaging and and when you tell those stories i can tell the story of um uh, lisa maintner who discovered um uh, nuclear fission which led to nuclear power and the bomb although she wasn't involved in that. But um, you tell these stories about these people like um, uh, uh, de Chatelet, who, who, who proved Newton was wrong about kinetic energy and discovered the formula for kinetic energy. So uh, there's lots of women out there and their stories need to be told. So that's the part of what I'm doing, a very long answer to your question about why am I teaching <laughs> physics? And it, and it is, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a way of inspiring people and children especially. And so that's the answer to the question, Derek. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I was sitting in your um, in your house in Cowley Road, Oxford, with a traffic whizzing by and uh, really busy. You saying, "I've got this form to fill in to get a government grant. I don't know if I'll get it, so that I can have a year out to uh, to go to. Uh, I think it was Oxford University you did your masters at, wasn't it? You know, just yeah. down the road." Um, yeah. Was that tricky for anybody watching this on YouTube that might want to change a life at, uh, you know, are they... you know, obviously to get to get to the University of Oxford, you've got to be brilliant, obviously. Well, I know you are, right? I always, <laughs> yeah. I always knew that. 
No. Or, or is it that, or is it someone with a pulse and a wallet? I don't know. But um, it was my own money. It was a loan, isn't it? So I have to pay it back. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it was interesting. So I went to the interview at Oxford, and I mean, my first degree was Oxford Brooks, which is Oxford Polytechnic, as it was. So to go to Oxford University, you know, that's something, you know. Even though I'd lived in Oxford all that time, it's still Oxford University, you know. So um, it's had to do an interview. And I was thinking of like the famous stories about interviews and how Oxford's. Um... No, well, we've got, we've yeah, got very a bit... tough interviews. So what? You what? Oh, no, your, your screen froze for a minute. Your broadband right. froze for, for a second. <laughs> Carry on. We're all right now. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so I was dreading this sort of interview. Was I prepared for it and that sort of thing? And um, and so I went in there, and because I live locally, I was cycled in, and I was in a suit, and I went in, and you know, met the professors, and I looked down and saw the sort of my cycle clips on, and I had these orange socks on, it was visible on the thing, and I said, oh, well, that that tells you I'm environmentally friendly, or something like that, you know, making a joke out of it. And I thought, oh God, you know, what have I, what am I talking? Shut up, you know, stop <laughs> talking. <laughs> supposed to be impressing them, not making quips. Anyway, I got a place, did the course and whatever, and I was chatting to those professors, same professors. Um, it must have been a year, you know, two years later, and and one of them, she said, uh, oh yeah, your interview, I remember your interview, was very impressive. And I think, what are you talking about? And she said, you just like, like blew in through the door with with this sort of confidence. Well, I didn't feel like that. But it was that sort of, and she said, oh, I remember the green tie as well. I, thought, I can't even remember that. But it was that sort of thing that what what you're, um, what, what people see is slightly different to how you feel, isn't it? And and so I and obviously like, like had literally just blown in through the door and and they perceived that as, as something good. <laughs> you know, that, I've, got to, I've got to ask you this, uh, Aid, at the risk of you cutting me off, but did you have a haircut, haircut before you went for the university interview? Yeah, yeah, this is this is um, this is not having a haircut from here from since February last year. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was short back and side before that. Yeah. And you made me promise that I wouldn't say you look like Simply Red, but so I won't say that. Is that all right? Only because it's because uh, you don't know he's actually called Mick Hucknall. He's not actually called Simply Red. <laughs> I know he? he's a magistrate. <laughs> but that's all I know. But uh, yeah, okay, okay. Let's turn uh, let's turn to uh, to physics now. Um, and uh, let's. I guess a lot of people on here, like me, won't know much about 3D printers, which you were blogging about last week. Uh, tell us a bit about 3D printers. How does that all work? Well, that came about because um, I, the school we're in, Finding Hall School, is it's very small, and the class sizes, the maximum class size is 15. It's not selective, so anybody can come. Uh, and it is there's a it's a fee paying school, but it's quite a reasonable fee. But uh, um, but having that smaller class size and a smaller school, um, I'm the I am the physics teachers. I'm the physics department. Uh, but that means that I've got complete control over domain domain. You know, so I teach every kid in the whole school, just the, the subject. So and I've got all the equipment in the room and uh, and I keep adding to it all sorts of weird stuff. So I, I I reckon that's what I like about it. That I've got more free reign than I perhaps would have in some other types of schools. So. So I keep adding these new things. Oh, this will be good. This will get them, you know. And uh, and so it was a student, two couple of students of mine said, "Oh, we need a three D printer." And 
you know, so what were we on that for, you know? And then they would, then, so they convinced me that this was a good idea. And we, we, we didn't have a budget to buy something like that because you're supposed to, you, you only got a budget to buy what you actually need. And we didn't need it. So, um, but we're cleverer than that. See, we'd done this book. So I made a little tidy profit off that. And um, I did a yearbook, which is, you know, this sort of thing with photographs in it. And I made a bit more profit off that. And um, there's another story about a telescope that was broken. That was an antique that I found in the loft and we sold it to a museum. So we made a bit of profit out of that. So uh, with all that, I went out and bought a load of equipment. <laughs> yeah, so, so, uh, so we got this 3D printer recommended by my A-level students and, uh, and, it, it, and it, it was quite brilliant, you know, and they, it's simpler than you think. And the analogy I was talking to Derek about yesterday when we were talking about this was um, if you think back to uh, the 1970s, nobody had a computer in their home. Um, we'd heard of them. I mean, big business, big business might have them. And, and then in the 80s, there was home computers. Here's mine here. Right, and uh, but there's a story about that. It'll be relevant in a few seconds, and um, and so we could get home computers, but only a few people had them. Only the hobbyists or the young kids and this sort of thing. But now computers are, you know, it's just a piece of the furniture, isn't it? It's something we have, something we use all the time and take for granted. And everybody's got a printer. You know, you've probably got a color printer. I mean, who has a black and white printer? You know, so we've all got color printers. It's just weird how quickly that's happened. It's unthinkable that just a few years ago that, that would happen so um the 3d printer is something that you might have heard of now or seen me talking about it or you've seen them somewhere but my prediction is that we'll all have one within 10 years you'll all have one and and it'll be a consumer unit just like your ordinary printer is now just like your computer and your laptop and your ipad and your uh, and your alexia and all those things are now you know it'll be something that you'll have and then when part of your washing machine breaks you'll you'll be sent the little program and it'll print the new part, something like that. Part of your dashboard of your car, print out a little piece out and and um, and, and plug it in there. Uh, the version we've got is pretty good. It can print something that's 30 centimeters of a foot square. So that's quite a big area that we can print with. So you could make a helmet. We haven't done that yet, but you could make a sort of a Star Wars helmet, which we toyed with doing, but we haven't done that. What we have been printing mainly with it is toys. And I haven't got any here to show you annoyingly, but we've print little Daleks and little Yodas and things. Um, but we also print things that we use in our experiments. So um, we want a particular clamp or a particular piece for equipment to hold something together in an experiment. So to my chaps who in the A-level, they're building a rocket. So they've designed it. They've designed it as a CAD drawing and then printed the pieces on the printer. Then they attach them together. This rocket's going to go up after Easter holidays. We're going to next week, we're going to launch it. And it's um, it's going to have a, a you know, a camera on it, an accelerometer on it, and an altimeter on it and stuff like that. It'll take loads of readings as it goes up. Then there'll be a parachute will come out, and then it'll float back down and we'll be able to retrieve it. So it's doing things like that, that, I, I don't know, you think, but I think it's quite exciting to be doing that rather than reading a textbook or something. Um, so it's that practical nature of, of it that is interesting and kids learn more by doing. Uh, the reason I brought this out to show you is this looks like a Commodore VIC-20, which it is, but it's actually just the case for the, the original computer. Inside is a Raspberry Pi. I've got Raspberry Pis all over the place. And they're little, if you haven't heard of them, they're little um, cheap single board computers. 
that um and we're getting a nod from daryl lane that's what i'm talking about and um i've got them doing all sorts of stuff but the one inside here is pretending to be a commodore vic 20 it's inside here i don't want to open it up but it's inside there and and i'm using this as a it's an emulator so i can use it to operate this computer from 1982 but i've got 3d printed parts on the back you can probably see yeah these panels here have been made by the 3d printer so i can put the modern ports in that are feeding the little mini computer that's inside there um and you think well why has he got that what's he doing with that well this is another thing so we're controlling our experiments with raspberry pis and with computers but i'm also teaching computing um using 1980s equipment why am i using 1980s equipment to teach computing because you can actually do it because that if you switch that computer on it won't do anything until you program it whereas if you're trying to teach a computer uh, teach programming on a mac well kids are just going to go to youtube and mess around it's like it's a brilliant multimedia computer you know these ones that we're all using today and um they're not good learning learning tools because they do everything don't they so get an 8-bit computer and uh i'm teaching the kids to learn that then we can learn actually how it works and that comes back full circle back to the physics is it's about how does the universe work how do things actually work how does your smartphone actually work you know and we can do experiments to find out so we're taking things apart figuring out how they work and i'm not saying that's unique there must be other people doing that but that's my raison d'etre my thing of the way of doing things find out how, how does stuff work but let's actually do it let's actually take the thing apart let's actually program this computer and get it to do something even if it's something fairly simple brilliant now tell me about um covid and assemblies when the head teacher said to you how are we going to run assemblies and how are we going to uh, handle this uh, this covid thing and you said uh, leave it to me i think yeah because i walked into a trap when i started at the school because um <clears throat> I walked, we walked into the first assembly and because it's a small school we can get everybody in the room for the assembly so we're all sat there and um and it was supposed to be the vicar he was supposed to be coming to give uh, to give the assembly that day and he didn't come for whatever reason um this is about five years ago now and uh and the headmaster was saying oh what are we gonna do we're gonna have to you know cancel it so yeah, we don't cancel stuff, you know, coming from the speaking background. And I thought, I'll do it. So I went up on the stage and um, gave a, I'd like to think a captivating assembly for 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And it must have been because there was a kid who came to me four or five years later and he said, Oh, I always remember that. I always remember that first day when, uh, when he told me that story on the, in the assembly. So, so, you know, it's an opportunity to show off and it's an opportunity to inspire the kids. And it, it worked for the teaching because um, then they're seeing me making jokes. They're seeing me on stage with the guitar or whatever I'm doing. And, um, you know, they think, well, this guy's all right. He's a bit of an idiot. But, um, you know, and that's how that's how um, I managed to control behavior and and performance is that you can't out weird me and you can't you can't be, you know, you can't be stranger than me and you can't be. You know more ridiculous than me so you know good luck with that so it tends to keep the kids on board and and them to um, get involved in stuff so i ended up doing the assemblies that's the problem you stick your head above the parapet and uh, you volunteer for something then you're stuck with it aren't you so that's what happened so i was stuck doing this, all the assemblies three times a week for the next five years until right. so what did you so come on then what did you do with um with covid suddenly the kids are at home yeah, so the headmaster said, "How can we keep the communication going?" So I, I said, "Well, we could do it. We could do. I could do a video of it, but um, 
but I'm not just going to video an assembly. It's boring, isn't it? You know, it, on stage it works. But so I said, what we'll do is I'll let's have it. I'll make a chat show. So I made a chat show. You know, not like this type of thing where we're all watching live. It was pre-recorded with the one guest and done. You know, I got a green screen and a puppet and got the kids to make little animations to put in it. And it was based on the sort of American chat shows that I've been watching, things like Stephen Colbert and um, Seth Meyers and those type of guys. And uh, I thought it's a good format. You know, it's sort of lighthearted. We can get across the important the important messages on um, mental health and uh, resilience and all these other things. And and I can tap up and call in favours from loads of speaker mates um, as we go. And I can put in the... I'm going to put the... Before I forget, Derek, I'm going to put the links in the chat. I've put them in actually if they're the right ones. I did the ones you gave me yesterday. Right, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, if you want to have a look, you can have a look. But I'm pretty 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 especially later on, they get they get funnier as they go, actually. And uh but then by that time I suppose I've been spending all that time alone doing it, that um start to go a bit bit do lally. And it, and it's on you can see it on the video. Because <laughs> well, I'm doing this puppet the thing, YouTube. but I'm they're the YouTube links in the in yeah, the box. Yeah. Uh, so if anyone wants to copy and paste them uh, into their um, computer before they disappear, you're very uh, very welcome. You know, it's not a thing. If I'm in a conversation with you here now and I'm talking and rabbit on, you have to tell me to shut up. But I, I was doing that in the film, but I'm doing it with a puppet. But I've written the lines for the puppet, so it's sort of you'll have to see it. You know, it makes sense. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I guess that went down really well, and that's all on YouTube. So is that on? What's that on your YouTube channel? Or the it's school? a school on the schools on the schools YouTube channel. Now I'm a bit of a fan of the railway, Whitby to uh, Scarborough railway line, and any uh, any of those. Um, you're publishing a book about the railway, which is going to be in colour, I understand, even though the pictures are in black and white. But you're funding it on Kickstarter, which I'd never heard of before. Kickstarter is... I bet there's people here who know more about it than me. I don't know hardly anything about it. Well, Daryl's nodding, but I'll have a look at the body <laughs> language of everybody. I'm not sure they will be. Uh, but no, it's a great idea because it's this thing I, I, I was... Uh, the railway line is just out the window there where, um, where I was showing you earlier. And it was dismantled in 1965, it's following on from the beaching cuts. And it, it, people around here are outraged and still outraged, you know, now, 55 years later, because it was one of the lines that was making money. And uh, and it would be making a fortune now to go along the coast. People said it was the most beautiful railway journey in Europe, or one of them, you know, because you're right on the cliff edge, right with the sea, all the way from Scarborough up to Teesside. So um, people are really cross about it, but it's been turned into a, a path and a cycle path so you can walk along it. And the stations are still there or ruins of them or conversions of them and stuff like that. But anyway, I just got in interested in trying to research it to because I live here to see what it would look like in its heyday. Came upon loads of photos, spoke to the archivists of um, the families of the photographers who took photos and they're all black and white. Because cheaper isn't it to do black and white photos in the 40s and 50s and and actually the late 1800s got some really early photos um but there are techniques you know we've got these techniques now as artificial intelligence which can upscale images and make them higher res and um i start off with a, a the system to put the color in then, then about in photoshop to get the colors right so i've created a, a batch of color photos for, for images that there was never colour photos for. And so people on the Facebook forum said, oh, if there was a book of this, I'd buy it. So, but I don't want to go make a book. It costs a lot of money, make a lot of time, wouldn't it? So the Kickstarter thing, 
the idea there is, as some of you know, is you don't do it until you've got the money. It's a brilliant idea, isn't it? I haven't thought that, think of that before. So the idea is that the Kickstarter for, um, uh, for uh, website um, is all done for you. You just upload the project in the most convincing way you can. So obviously photos of what your thing's going to look like that people are going to buy. And then you could direct people to that. They know that they're going to have it at a good price. And they know when it's going to arrive, say it's going to arrive in December. So they're going to have to wait for it six months or something. But if they if they put into the project, they'll get it. If they don't put into the project, they won't get it. And if the project doesn't reach your target, let's say it was 100 sold or 1,000 sales or something. If it doesn't reach that, that sales target, then you don't do it and they get their money back. But if it does reach that sales target, you've got the money to fund whatever it is you're going to do, in this case, printing a book. So... It seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Sounds a brilliant idea, actually. And I want I want a book already. So you've only got 99. And <laughs> yeah. Anybody else wants a book, put it in the chat show. Yeah. Put it in the chat box. And, uh, but it is, it's going to be 200 quid, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Aid. <laughs> no, it sounds great. And you also said the uh, proceeds are going to go to charity, to your son's charity, Fragile X, as well. Yeah, so because my, my my son has a genetic condition which manifests as autism, it's called fragile X fragile X syndrome. It's a genetic inherited genetic condition, and that in that that's caused him learning difficulties. He's fifteen now, but he loves the railway. He loves steam. He loves everything about it. And we volunteer as well when we can. We haven't been able to last year on the North Yorkshire Moors Railway, which is the first railway in the world, ladies and gentlemen. Did you know that? Wow. First railway in the world, built by George Stevenson, no less. No, well, we didn't know that, but Alan Kay, who's on here, who you may remember, lives in Pickering and has been walking on the North Yorkshire Railway this morning. Yeah, <laughs> Filming, yeah. doing, do, going on at that uh, at that point. Uh, yeah. I'm going to stop you there. There's some questions in the chat box, but I'll come back to them after, uh, after we've heard from... Uh, Daryl, but can I ask everybody just to give um, Ada clap in the usual uh, Monday night chat show way? Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> great job, Aidan. We'll be back to you with some questions, and also uh, after I've closed the uh, I've, I've closed the uh, window down as well. Uh, I'd like to introduce Daryl Howes now, who uh, who I've known for a number of years. We worked together at a very strange training centre that Barclays had uh, on Wimbledon Common. It was in fact the uh, head office of Barclays in the Second World War. And uh, after Daryl left Barclays, like uh, Aidy, went in and studied psychology and did a degree in psychology. And now he helps people and organisations to network better, utilising social science of psychology, sociology, and anthropology, uh, you know me, uh, Daryl, I don't know what any of those words mean anyway, so perhaps you could uh, talk us through it. Uh. Um, I'm not sure whether I know what they mean either, Derek, actually. Um, I, I don't sort of really profess any kind of great expertise in, uh, in networking necessarily, but what I have tried to do, and here comes the shameless plug, guys, um, I do have a book coming out um, later this year, uh, the working title is a networking playbook. Now, Tim, because uh, he's an American gentleman, knows, I hope, what a playbook is in sporting terms. And Tim is very kindly nodding. Um, I'm sure we have them over here for sort of rugby plays, that kind of thing. That would be the equivalent. But essentially, the coach 
has a book and it might be as simple as a loose leaf folder. And within each of the pages, there will be a play. And, you know, you can imagine a play in American football where the ball is thrown to the receiver. Would it be, Tim? Forgive my, forgive my lack of knowledge yet. Yeah, getting a thumbs up there. And so, you know, the guys in the team know what the play is. They know what's going to happen next. So it's a networking playbook to try and help people who probably don't really know where to start. And, you know, the, the old phrase, you don't know what you don't know. You know you, someone's got to help you make that first step. And that person might be a school leaver. It might be a university graduate. It might be somebody doing postgraduate education. It might be someone changing career. It might be an experienced networker who, because of everything that's gone on with COVID, you know, we haven't been able to do this face-to-face -face stuff. Uh, for some time now. So all of us, me included, feel a little bit rusty. So, um, and obviously the, the other thing is things like fundraising for charities where you need to network with people in order to get those pennies in the pot. So um, as I was saying, this book, it's a fairly short book. It's intended to be easy to access. Uh, we've got some funny bits in it. I'm working with a very, very talented um, young graphic artist who does um, images in manga style so Japanese manga which is a very sort of uh, interesting style of actually producing an image uh, so we hope that that will that will provide some fun throughout the book and that's that's really what the book is about um, networking yeah how interesting that is, because it really is sort of different strokes for different folks. And that's why the book isn't called, or it's not intended to be called, we'll have to see what the final title is. It's not the networking playbook, it's a networking playbook. And the message that I wanted to get across there is, look, I'm not the font of all knowledge. What I can give you is a structure, if you like a kind of a scaffold, but what's really, really important for authenticity reasons is that you're able to overlay your own character, your own personality over that particular scaffold, which I, which I hope I provide. So it's not the networking playbook. This is the way to do it. There's no other way to do it. This is the word. You've got to do it this way. No, no, no. It's a networking playbook that you can work on and develop yourself. Um, Derek, have I got that across okay? You happy with that? Yeah, does, does, does it give people confidence? Because um, the old imposter syndrome kicks in, doesn't it? Um, when people go networking, people yeah. going networking. Well, well it, it's, it's interesting that you should mention imposter syndrome. I don't know if anybody's read the original paper to, to well, lady researchers. I had Kate Atkin on, on okay. talking uh, about uh, uh, okay, so it was actually called Im Imposter Phenomena. Yeah, she told but me I, off as well. I got a slap for, for yeah. that as well, but I still yeah. carry on. You know <laughs> yeah, me. but I, IP, I guess, have been taken intellectual property. So, you yeah. know, they're going to have imposter syndrome. And that's another thing, really. You know, you've got to have something catchy. Um, I know when Aid was talking about his interview, you know, and... Who's the TV in, in the UK? We've got a TV presenter. Uh, is it Jon Snow on Channel 4? And he will always wear these socks 
these brightly coloured socks. I think, I think that's the, the guy's name anyway, might have got that wrong. And of course, Aid made himself memorable. Did you say green tie, Aid? Was it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that confidence and sort of coming in and making the odd sort of um, British humour comment. You know, people remembered Aid. And I think uh, remembering people is, is very important and making yourself memorable is very important. But imposter syndrome, you mentioned that, Derek, and of course that's sort of very much the watchword at the moment. There's, there's a book out by Adam Grant, who is a kind of superstar academic, Tim knows the name. Uh, he's a professor at Wharton. He's very young to be a tenured professor at Wharton, so he really is, he really is the bee's knees. Uh, it's called Think Again. Uh, I recommend it to you as a read, but Adam actually says in that that perhaps imposter syndrome might be adaptive. Now, adaptive means it has an evolutionary advantage. It confers an evolutionary advantage. So that's a rather long way of saying that imposter syndrome, there might not actually be anything wrong with it. And I think probably every one of us here uh, this evening could perhaps claim at some point in our lives to have felt imposter syndrome. I, I still feel it. No, but, absolutely. you know, what, what, what are the positive aspects of that? Well, it certainly keeps you on your toes. You know, it certainly drives you to be the best you can be. It certainly drives you to read up, read that stuff and make sure you know your stuff. And we know that all successful people, you know, what are the, why are they successful? Well, the ones I know, there's no great secret to it. They get up earlier than anybody else and they work harder than anybody else. And you, if you don't mind me saying this, Derek, you're a perfect example of this. You know, you just work damn hard. <laughs> you know, that, that's why success comes. Um, so, so yeah, the you know, syndrome, just to, just to summarise, yeah. I, I think it's all about confidence, actually, and inferring confidence into people. Do you know what I mean? It's that fear factor. And I don't want to talk about that particularly anymore because I want to ask you about your LinkedIn networking. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, so I've I've got I've got a LinkedIn group. I've had it for about six years. But, you know, it's wrong of me to say that I've got the group because it isn't really my group. You know, LinkedIn has this thing. You have to be the group owner. Yeah. When you start a group, you get called the group owner. But actually, I don't own the group. OK, you know what I'm going to say. The members own the group. It's their group. It's not my group. Um, and I don't know how many folks uh, here this evening have a LinkedIn group where they are the group owner, so to speak. Hands up anyone. If anyone has a LinkedIn. Yeah. Group. No, nobody. No. OK, well, that, that's it. Are you hands up if you're a member of a LinkedIn group? Okay, hands down. Hands up if you're an active member of a LinkedIn group. Mm. Now, I don't know what you mean by active member in okay. my questions what? because, Daryl, I see all your posts and you did ask me to get a bit more active, but I've got to be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't really know how. I said, well, why don't you interview me? But that was probably the wrong answer. No, I don't think it was the wrong answer. Um, how do you get active? Right, well, at the very base level, you like the posts that are on the yep. group, okay? So you like them. But that's not really great. I mean, it's a bit like having, I don't know, Twitter followers, you know, oh, you know, I meet people, I've got two million Twitter followers. Well, great. But what, and they know you personally, do they? <laughs> you know, um, 
if you're going to have a group, if you're going to have a community, in fact, that's so much, that's a much better word. If you, you know, I've, what I've been trying to put together is a little community of people, okay? And those people know me and I know a bit about them. I know what their likes and their dislikes are. You know, I, I know maybe what their objectives are, which is a very important thing in networking. Again, this is in the book. Don't just go to a networking event. Do some homework. You know, find out things about the event so that you can talk in your small talk, but also go there with an objective. You know, I don't know if you're just starting out. I'm going to have three good conversations this evening. When I've done that, I'm going to relax and then give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah. Make it, make it easy on yourself, really. Anyway, coming back to groups. So it's not about me. And I'm just speaking about my experience of my group here. I, I don't have a magic bullet. How many, people, is, are in, how many people are in the group? Uh, oh, okay. Uh, we're now about 470, which okay. isn't a huge number. But frankly, I'm toying with the idea of putting an upper limit on it, actually, uh, because I do wonder whether we want too many people in a group so maybe that's learning point number one it depends on your objectives you know in running a group or being a member of a group how many people do you want in in that particular group what are your objectives for running this my objectives again it links with the book really you know the the, the group is called strategic business networking and that's the sort of method that i espouse um, Networking, well, that's obvious. Business, well, sorry, guys, if you're going to network, invariably it has a business aspect to it. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to use networking to get a job, jobs are about business. And that may seem obvious to you folks, but when I'm talking with an undergrad or a postgrad, they don't always get that. Okay. So that's the strategic business network. The networking is, is straightforward. Business, there's a business aspect. Strategic. As I was saying a moment ago, there needs to be a strategy. You know, why are you doing the networking? Um, what are you going to do? Where do you want to get to? You know, you're starting here. Where do you want to get to? And you need to make sure that your networking activities follow that self-defined strategy. So, Derek, that's that's why I've, I've got the group, really, to try and help all sorts of people. And there are all sorts of people in the group. Sure. Help them become better networkers okay daryl we're living out of time have you yep. got a, have you got a, another last point you want to make yeah yeah a, a very a very important point um two very quick things get some headline names in the group i'm very lucky i've got some um well fairly well-known people in in the particular sphere that i i deal in which is uh, occupational psychology um, and the second thing is have some people in there that make some noise. Get, invite people in who are who are not shrinking violets, who do have something to say and will you know, straight up in first say it because that will encourage the others. OK, Darryl, thanks very much for doing that, everybody. Can you give the Daryl the usual round of applause? And I'm going to go to the chat box now and see what we what questions we've got in there. We've got quite a lot. Beautiful part of the world where you live. Aid, yeah, we're. Uh, we, oh, is the club available to join online, Aid? Because uh, it, uh, Elvira would love her son 
to be able to join. There's there's one for you. It, it, it's, it's something I've thought about about how to how to make uh, how to do a lot of the things that we do in a broader sense. But I've got a method of doing it quite at the minute, and we can't really do clubs as such at the moment. We're doing our classes, but maybe uh, as we go into the summer, we'll be able to look at and see how we can do how we can do sort of after school clubs again. It'd be interesting. You could almost do a chat show like this, couldn't you, for um, five o'clock in the in the afternoon if the school would let you and open it wide widely up. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a good idea. Be interesting good. to see what happens. Tim Durkin says the development of the COVID vaccine was made possible by Catalin Karika, who believed in the effect of mRNA to develop it. So, I don't know whether that's a question or a statement, Tim. No, no um, he's, uh, Abe, you're looking for women heroes in science. And while there's many people that have been involved in the development of the COVID vaccine, and Kate is quick to credit others, um, they will be building statues to her mm. because she labored in obscurity for $60,000 a year. Um, and still gets paid that. And she's one of the most brilliant scientists for messenger RNA, which goes to DNA, which creates antibodies. And uh, it's a remarkable achievement. Credit to many, but biggest credit to her. Uh, Hungarian immigrant to the US. Thanks, Tim. And, and, and then Tim lowering the tone to totally says he's had a few pints with Mick Hucknall in uh, in Dublin. There's a lot of people you've had pints with, Tim. Are you There's got... a story there, buddy, but not for today. Okay, well, we'll bring that one on another time. Um, while we're being serious for a minute, Jill says on the subject of inspiring kids, have you come across the Langley School Project? Eh? Well, what's that? No, what's that then? Jill is Jill's either going to unmute or she's going to put it in the chat box. So... Uh, that's uh, um, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, I've just looked up, yeah, music. Um, yeah, Jill's nodding aid. Yeah, so I'll have a look at that later, yeah. Yeah, China is now printing full-size homes to meet their demands, says Tim. Uh, Nancy says, wonder what square footage their homes will be. And then we come to the links to your YouTube videos, all 12 of them, and uh, People take uh, a look at that. Nigel, who works at the University of Essex, says I hope he hopes your headmaster nominates you for a National Teaching Fellowship Award. Um, well, we'll do that for you if we can, if uh, if we if we count. I, 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 highly unlikely. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> plenty of the candidates. Uh, well, we'll see about that. Um, uh, Tim says um, it's called crowdfunding. Well, I think uh, kick, what you talked about is slightly different to crowdfunding, isn't it? Kickstart, or is it just a it's form? It's just a system of crowdfunding, isn't it? It's just a system of it. It's just a different system. Yeah. Okay. Um, Alan Kay would like a teacher like you. He lives down the road from you, uh, Aid, so watch out. Um, and uh, sales playbooks are very popular, says Nancy. Um, and uh, you've put some links in there, Aid. What are those links? Oh, they, um, there's just in case you wanted to see it. That was the kids' book. That's my own collection of stories. If you're inter interested in short science fiction stories, then I think it's free on Kindle, isn't it? But those are the those are my other sort of books of um, short stories, just in case it's of interest. 
And Nancy uses one of those phrases that I like. I'll probably, uh, the thanks for reminding me, Nancy. I'll use that in next week's newsletter. The only place success comes from, comes before work is in the dictionary. Absolutely. And um, yeah, 10% inspiration, 90% uh, perspiration, quality versus um, more on the 3D printer. You put some things in the chat box there as well. Aid um, on, um, that's one of your blogs on WordPress, isn't it? Uh, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, and Jill's put the Langley Schools mu Music Project in there. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the uh, recording at this point and ask our two speakers to stay on the line as long as uh, people are asking questions. Um, but uh, if we can just have a round of applause for both both our speakers tonight. Thank you very much indeed, Aid, and thank you very much, Daryl, for uh, presenting, putting yourself out your, outside the comfort zone and getting rid of the imposter syndrome, which clearly you all have, or the imposter phenomenon, as it's uh, as it's uh, probably called. Thanks very much for joining on YouTube on the, and on the Negotiators podcast. Please like it.